The elders to the beloved Gatius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, and that you may be in good health, as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you were walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a fateful thing you do in all your efforts for your brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends each by name. You can be seated. Good morning, Midlands Church fam. Um, Good to be back with everyone. Um, I'm not a fan of online. um, And by the way, thanks to the guys who have have done the online messages. I got a taste of that last week and was not enjoying that. So um, thank you guys for bearing with me and presenting it that way. Um, Also, uh, praise the Lord for the beautiful weather this morning. That was refreshing. Um, Amy and I spent many years up north, so the Columbia heat uh, isn't our favorite yet. Um, Maybe we'll get acclimated to it at some point. Also, real quick, um, uh, welcome back to the students. Good to see you guys. I know a lot of students just got back, and it's good that we can be back together. And then finally, um, this is just Ethan as your brother in Christ, but thank you guys for your grace and your patience during this transitional season. I know it can be discouraging and Um, It certainly can be uncomfortable in ways. Um, I'm so excited as I um, as I see what God is doing here in this local church family, and um, so I'm not going to go off on a 10-minute bunny trail on that. But I'm just I'm really excited about what God's doing here at Midlands, um, the uh, the ways that He's uh, growing us as a local church. I know it's inconvenient and uncomfortable, um, but uh, be encouraged. God's doing good things here. Um, and it's good to be back with you guys. So uh, with that, we're wrapping up our series in um, Walking in Truth has been our summer series. So we took a departure from the Gospel of John and we spent some time in the letters of John. Walking in Truth was our theme because as you read through 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, that uh, stands out as one of the phrases that John throws out there to his readers and the importance of walking in truth the importance of knowing God's word and living in obedience to God's word. So we're wrapping up that series today with 3 John. Very interesting short letter that is jam-packed full of content. Um, 
we could easily spend four weeks just in 3 John, no joke. We're not going to do that. We're going to spend 25 minutes in 3 John. So let's get that rolling. And let me, let me begin our time throwing this question out. What happens to our bodies when some part of it deviates from the pattern of normal healthy development? I imagine probably everyone here has dealt with some type of health issue or maybe had a, a loved one who was dealing with a health issue where some part of their body wasn't functioning the way it was supposed to and wasn't developing properly. Uh, I'll share a, a personal example real quick. Uh, five years ago, I was, uh, I, I was having some sinus issues and I had, I had known for a while that my sinuses weren't in the greatest shape compared to the normal human being, and I knew some of the issues that it caused, but I just decided, you know, I'm going to grin and bear it, I'm just going to deal with it, and, and I got to the point where a, a, a particular issue was, uh, was frustrating me, so I went into the ear, nose, and throat doctor for that particular issue, and I said, can you, you know, I just need to get this squared away, can you do something for me? And he's like, well, absolutely we can, and he took some x-rays, and he said, hey, listen, we can definitely address this, this particular issue, the symptoms that you're dealing with. More than that, though, I, I want to show you the x-rays that I took. And I was like, oh, okay, let's go look at the x-rays. So I, I went back with him to the x-ray room. And he's like, now, Ethan, the x-ray on the left is, is a normal human being's sinuses, all right? He explained it. You see how it kind of opens up like this. It comes behind the eyes. And, and all that, that black area on the x-ray, that is, that's open space. That's how your sinuses are supposed to function. Okay, yep, I know where this is going. The one on the right, that's your sinuses, Ethan. Okay, well, like, where's the black? I mean, where's the, yeah, exactly. Uh, your, your sinuses have more or less just closed up and so you're experiencing all these issues, and you're going to continue to experience those issues until you address the issue of um, the, the, the broader issue. Sorry, let me frame that again. Ethan, you came in for this one particular symptom. Until you address the bigger issue, you're going to continue to deal with sinus problems. And so I knew at that point, enough putting this off, something needs to be done. I knew it was going to be expensive. I knew it was going to take some time to recover, but I knew that something needed to be done. So it is within the body of Christ. When something is impeding a local church's healthy development and maturity, we all feel it. We can either suffer silently and continue to watch our spiritual health deteriorate, or we can speak the truth in love and we can address the problem. And this is the purpose of John's letter to Gaius. John and his local church had become aware of another group of professing believers whose conduct had veered from that of a healthy biblical community and whose dysfunction had significantly, significantly diminished the quality of spiritual health within not only their own local church community, but that of surrounding believing communities as well. And so for the welfare of all involved, John determined to address that problem head on in the letter that we call 3 John. Let's take a moment and invite the Holy Spirit to teach us this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Uh, Father, 
we all at times take your word for granted, and, and, um, and we shouldn't, Father. You've given us your word, and here we have probably multiple copies in our homes, and we don't study it often enough, and we don't study it deeply enough. Um, and so, Father, help us to be people that study your word and become serious students of your word so that we can walk in truth as we've been studying this summer. Thank you this morning that we get to take a peek at Third John. Father, you know that in my preparation, I've tried to be conscious of um, personal soapboxes and issues and leave those aside and, and, and just cut to the chase and identify the things that you want to communicate to us this morning through this short letter. And Father, I pray that you'll help me to be faithful to communicate those clearly. I pray that your Holy Spirit will um, tune us into the truth of your word and that your living and active word will penetrate our hearts and minds this morning and correct our theology wherever we're out of alignment with truth so that we can uh, so that we can cultivate right thinking and right beliefs as well as right practices and right living. We commit this time to you in your son's name. Amen. All right, real quick, let's, let's look at the background of this letter and a, and a particular issue that's brought up in this letter, and that is Christian hospitality in the first century. We, we discussed that a little bit uh, in, the, in the letter to Second John last week, that uh, how important hospitality was. And we, we looked at it from the angle of hospitality carrying so much importance with it that, that John warned his readers, please do not host false teachers in your home. Yes, we want to be hospitable people, but not with them. The cost is too great. It reflects on the Christian community. It's going to confuse people in thinking that these false teachers have a valid message. So yes, show hospitality, but not with those individuals. This, in this letter, it's, it's quite the opposite. Uh, John is, is addressing his readers and saying, hospitality among genuine believers is of critical importance. Here's, here's part of the, the cultural background in that. Again, we, we look at our culture today and we think of, of hospitality and, and even our, our means to get around places. We have transportation, uh, we have nice homes, it's easy to get to and from places. We have, uh, usually money isn't an issue, even for the poorest among us. So if we need to stay at a hotel some, uh, at some point, it's not a problem. Back then it was quite different. Many places didn't even have something along the lines of an inn or what we would call a motel or hotel. Obviously, they didn't have motels, uh, but they, they typically didn't have um, inns. Now, certain places did. Of course, we know that. We see in Scripture there are examples of there being inns. But even in the places where there were inns, uh, my understanding is that they weren't the... Uh, how shall I frame this delicately? There was often uh, unsuitable activities happening in those places. Um, these, are, these are places, well, I'll just throw it out there. My understanding is that not only was that a place you could stay and maybe on the upper level have rooms where you could stay in and the lower level have your livestock and they, you could purchase feed for your livestock and you could purchase food. Uh, but there was also uh, immorality that would center around those locations. And so I think for this reason, you think back to, 
uh, Matthew 10, for instance, Jesus gives instructions to his disciples as they're going out to take the, the proclamation of the kingdom of God coming to earth, um, stay in private residences, go to a place and find who's honorable there and stay with them. He gave them some explicit instructions. I think that, w- that had to do with the reputation of some of these places. Uh, okay, so, so John understands the importance of these uh, these individuals, these other believers going around and preaching the gospel and the importance of hosting them in the homes of other believers. Uh, for instance, uh, there, there are some other biblical examples in Romans 12, uh, verses 10 and 13. He says, uh, Paul says to the Roman church, love one another with brotherly affection, contribute to the needs of sin, uh, of, uh, to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. 1 Peter 4, 8 through 9, Peter's writing to the Jews who had been dispersed throughout Asia Minor, and he says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. So you'll you'll notice these are in the context of instruction about how believers are to relate to other believers. Within the believing community, even if the individuals were strangers, if, you, if these were individuals you didn't know by name, but they came with accommodation from other believers, you had a responsibility as their brothers and sisters to host them in your home. And hospitality wasn't so much hosting relatives or close friends like we might think of it. It was hosting strangers, other believers, which we also do in some ways today. Okay, so there was uh, critical importance with this. And, and with Third John in particular... Here are these men who he says, let's see, uh, verse, verse 7, he says, For they went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support such men so that we may be fellow workers with the truth. They went out for the sake of the gospel. These were front lines guys who were taking the gospel to new places and building up the bodies of local believers. They were accepting nothing from the Gentiles so that People wouldn't think that the gospel was something that was sold. Salvation is something you can purchase. No, they were coming uh, with the gospel that had been freely given and that they were freely giving, but they did depend on hospitality from believers. So we'll see in this letter, that was one of the issues that, that, that John is addressing with diatrophies. He refused to show hospitality. All right. What I'm going to do here as we look at this letter the, the letter is kind of bookended with commendations of Gaius and Demetrius. And so I'm going to look at those first uh, because those serve as sort of the contrast against which uh, Diotrephes' faults are exposed, okay? So Gaius, he mentions first, and his spiritual health was confirmed by John on the basis of his persistence in walking in truth, especially as evidenced in his hospitality to these traveling preachers. Uh, think back with me to 1 John that we just studied. 1 John three sixteen and 18, John admonishes his readers. By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. The applications to us uh, are clear for, for this day and age. And, and we see in the life of Gaius, John's commending that. Gaius, you, you are faithfully showing hospitality to the traveling preachers. Good job. Continue to do that. And in spite of 
in spite of what's happening in Diotrephes' life and with the people he's influencing, you continue to show hospitality and do what you know is right. So commendation for Gaius. On the other end, we have Demetrius at the end of the letter. And his spiritual health was confirmed by those within his own community, John says, by truth itself. In other words, the, the open statement of God's word, clearly Demetrius's life, according to John, measured up with what was outlined in Scripture and the truth of Scripture. So his, his own life measured, uh, sorry, uh, correlated with the truth of Scripture. And then he says um, also uh, the apostle in his community had spent time with Demetrius and could commend him wholeheartedly. So Demetrius was commended by John as one worthy of being uh, shown hospitality and commends him to Gaius. Uh, that's a pretty great commendation. I mean, I would love to have a commendation by that. Um, not only your own local church, but an apostle's local church. And then the apostle is saying, hey, this, guy, this guy's life matches up to the truth of scripture. I can say this guy honors God, show him hospitality. Uh, fantastic. All right, now we're gonna get into John's condemnation of Diotrephes' spiritual dysfunction. And I wanna frame this in a couple ways. When I look at, let's, let's read real quick again uh, that, that section. Uh, verses nine and 10, John says, I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first among them, does not accept what we say. For this reason, if I come, I will call attention to his deeds, which he does unjustly accusing us with wicked words and not satisfied with this, he himself does not receive the brethren either. And he forbids those who desire to do so and puts them out of the church. So I count four, maybe five faults that John just shoots straight at, at Demetrius in this letter to Gaius. And I'm gonna frame them. The first one I think is, is, forgive me if I get a little nerdy here, but I, I'm, a, I'm an analyst, so I'm like, okay, what's the angle? The first, I think, is sort of a positional fault, and then the, the remaining ones are functional faults. Think, think in terms of a human body. Um, if something is in the wrong position, it causes problems, right? We also know that if, if something's in the right position, but it's not functioning properly, it causes problems, okay? Um, that's how my mind is, is looking at this. Um, I hope that I conveyed that well, but let's take a look. So first fault is a positional one. Diotrephes sought a position of preeminence within the believing community. Let's, let's look back at Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 and 28. Some of my favorite verses, especially as they pertain to Christian leadership. Listen to this. A Jesus, by the way, the context, James and John came to Jesus and and. They were certain men. John's, uh, sorry, Jesus is the Messiah. He's going to overthrow the Roman government. And when he does, there's going to be opportunities for positions of governance. Uh, and and, and I, want to, I want in on that. So they ask him, can we have a place at your right and left side? Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In, in that short passage of Scripture, Jesus turns our conception, the worldly conception of leadership, on its head. And the way that the disciples 
we're thinking about leadership and the way that we often think about leadership as we look to the world, Christ said, that is not the way my people are going to relate to one another. And we see here, that was exactly the way that Diotrephes determined that he was going to relate to his fellow believers. He was going to exercise authority over them. He was going to rule over them. Okay. A, another, uh, another aspect of Diotrephes' uh, desire for preeminence was, um, was that he, I, I should say, in addition to that, he, he desired to be the, the, the top of the pyramid. He desired to, to play the head. And if we look at passages like Ephesians and Colossians, Paul explicitly instructs us that Christ alone is the head of the body. First uh, Peter 5.4 also, um, where Peter is exhorting elders, those commissioned to lead the flock by way of their, their influence and their example, he says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So Christ is the chief shepherd, not you, not me. Um, man, I'd love to go off on a little bunny trail right now, and I'm not going to. It's a little, a little as Aaron calls it, some, some Greek exegetical nerdiness. Because there's, there's some stuff to unpack when, when Peter... When Peter identifies Christ alone, the only instance of that title in the New Testament, he identifies Christ as the chief shepherd. I'm not going to go down that bunny trail. Maybe we shall at some point in the future. But um, what I will wrap this point up with here is just noting that Christians have found some very creative ways to cut in on Christ's exclusive position as the head of the body. And we need to be very careful that the the terms we use and the, the way that we practice leadership in the body of Christ in no way cuts in on Christ's position as our head and as the chief shepherd, okay? So Diotrephes' first fault was a positional one. He was seeking preeminence. Secondly, functionally, Diotrephes was, Diotrephes was seeking to discredit and undermine God-ordained authority, I'm not going to spend too much time on that, but it's evident right here. Uh, last week in the really great video that I put together, um, we looked briefly at 1 Corinthians 3, where Paul's explaining to the Corinthian believers his role as an apostle, his responsibility to lay the foundation of the gospel so carefully and that others would come and build on that, but he needed to make sure that the foundation was solid and was the gospel and, and nothing more and nothing less. Okay, Apostles had a unique authority and responsibility to lay that foundation. And here, Diotrephes is clearly slandering the apostle John and seeking to discredit him and undermine the work that John had been uh, commissioned to do as an apostle. Okay, so that uh, that was a functional fault. Thirdly, Diotrephes was withholding material support from Christian workers. Again, this goes back to the hospitality uh, issue. Diotrephes was well aware of what his obligation was to his fellow believers with respect to hospitality. And again, we, just, we looked at 1 John 3, uh, 16 and 17 again. But if anyone has the world's good and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? So John calls Diotrephes out for that as well. And fourth, and sort of fifth, 
Diotrephes sought to exercise control over the affairs of his fellow believers. 1 Peter 5.3, anyone who aspires to lead others in your local church or Christian organization, this should be a familiar verse to you. And in it, uh, Christian leaders uh, are instructed not to lord it over their brothers and sisters, but to lead by example through their trust in and obedience to the Lord. Very clearly not the way that Diotrephes was relating to the believers in his church. And then the, the, the kind of fifth part here is that he put them out of the church. And this, this gets a little bit into um, church governance and church discipline. But as I look to scripture, there is a, a process outlined for restorative church discipline. When somebody is living in unrepentant sin, and there's a process in Matthew 18 whereby we can go and increase accountability in hopes of restoring them back to fellowship with the body. And it is a process that belongs in the hands of the congregation, um, not, not the elders and not even a single leader, okay? Now, the elders and the leaders should be instrumental in serving the body and walking through that process. And here, Diotrephes decides, I'm going to be the one who determines whether somebody stays in our church or not. And again, the only reason, even, even these days, the only reason we would, we would put somebody out of the church is if they're living in unrepentant sin after a process of trying to restore them to fellowship. And even the, the putting out of the church just reflects in a physical way what they've already done uh, spiritually in their own life, that they have separated themselves um, and, and they've they are not in healthy communion with God or his people. And it's even the putting them out is an attempt to show them, here's where you stand spiritually, okay? Diotrephes commandeered that whole process and he said, I'm gonna say who stays in this assembly or not, okay? So, uh, you know, as I was thinking about this, Diotrephes' situation reminds me of Paul's clear warning to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20. Paul had, had, uh, had warned the Ephesian elders that after his departure, fierce wolves would come in among them, not sparing the flock, and that from among their own selves would arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. And he said, therefore, be on the alert. Well, here this is playing out, and, and so we shouldn't be surprised. Paul saw it coming. I'm sure the other apostles were seeing it in certain ways, and John knew, I need to address this. This is not healthy, and I need to call this out for the sake of for the sake of these believers, and, and certainly for God's honor and glory, okay? And guys, we need to remain on guard no less in our own day against the emergence of those with destructive doctrines and practices. Okay, real quick, we talked about Gaius and Demetrius, the commendations we talked about, Diotrephes, and John's condemnation of his practices, uh, it's, it's appropriate that we identify the faults with diatrophies, but there's another party at fault here that's implied, I think. Anyone want to take a stab at who else is at fault here in this, in this situation? Say it again. The body. You get a free coffee whenever Midland starts serving coffee again on me. Awesome. Yes, the body was at fault. Um, and just so you guys don't think I'm, I'm reaching too far, 
Uh, one of the commentaries we studied, Colin Cruz, a uh, really great commentary, he says, in doing what he did, Diotrephes must have had the tacit approval of the majority of the members of the church. And here's my takeaway from that. Um, in our own Christian communities, we need to be careful not to create situations in which a single member of the body is afforded excessive influence by means of either an individual's position or their function within the body, like we just looked at, okay? Um, Christian, the, the local church ministry is every member functioning um, according to the, the, the role and the gifting that God gave them. Um, and, and when those aren't, when, when we take that out of context, the body starts to dysfunction, okay? Um, by the same token, when we become aware of practices that are spiritually harmful and don't align with the pattern that's been established by the head of the church, we're, we're responsible to address it. As brothers and sisters, we need to speak the truth in love. If we choose not to, like Diotrephes congregation, we share responsibility for the resulting spiritual condition of that Christian community. All right, I'm gonna wrap it up here application because we're still shooting for like the 25 to 30 minute right not 45 no okay 25 to 30 minute okay so here we go we'll wrap it up bring it to a close oh there's so much good stuff here guys i've got about pages i'm just throwing out this morning okay um we'll, we'll get back to those sometime let's wrap this up in christ we have everything we need to effectively walk in truth and I think that's a good note to end on with this series. We've been talking about walking in truth and different angles, different issues. Do this, don't do this. So we've, we've received a lot of instruction right from the mouth of the Lord this summer in terms of how we walk in truth and relate to one another, okay? Aaron, I'm gonna put this on Aaron. He introduced us to these terms orthodoxy and orthopraxy. Okay, actually really great terms. Right doctrine and right practice. Okay, orthodoxy, orthopraxy. And, um, and, and let's, as we go, go forward from this series this summer, let's think about the applications in our own lives. And before the Lord, let's ask, Lord, is what I believe true? Let's go back to God's word continually and make sure that what we're hearing and what we're thinking is true and aligns with God's truth. And then the, the, the things that I'm doing, Lord, I wanna honor you in my living, I, we want to honor you in the way that we practice church together and practice community. Um, does it align with your word? Is it right? Uh, Paul wrote to Timothy, follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Follow the pattern of the sound words. Let's continue to look to scripture together to make sure we're following that pattern. And, uh, and remember 2 John, this is one of his, one of his uh, issues of importance. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. But whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Let's continue to abide in Christ's teaching. And then in terms of practice, man, I, you guys are probably going to, the more time you spend with me, you're going to get sick of me. Ethan always goes to Philippians 2. That's his go-to passage. But guys, when I was thinking about What's our pattern in terms of Christian living? Man, Philippians 2 nails it for me every single time. Listen to this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself 
by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Following Christ's pattern in the way we live is evidenced by our sacrificial obedience to God and humble service to his people. Now, I'm wrapping it up, okay? For real, I'm wrapping it up. Um, this is where I can get a little bit discouraged. We know what to do, right? It's right there. We just, we just read it. But there's so many diatrophies among God's people posing as Christian leaders. And if we're being perfectly honest with ourselves, like diatrophies, we all struggle with the same temptation to assert ourselves in secure positions of preeminence. But here's the cool thing. I don't know about you, but I I feel like I know what to do. My spirit's willing. My flesh is weak. I don't know where that phrase came from. And I need some help. Here's the cool thing. Not only did Christ show us the way and show us what we need to do, he has given us the means to do it by his Holy Spirit dwelling in each and every one of us and by the power of the Holy Spirit's work within us. It is possible to reject this dysfunctional approach to influencing others and choose to walk in truth. So herein lies the value of having studied 3 John together. This isn't just some crusty, first century letter from an apostle to a struggling church. It is the living and active word of God and God desires that it would have a sanctifying effect in each of our lives. I pray that what we've studied together this morning will prompt each of us to prayerfully reflect on our own character and that we would choose to walk in truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Wow, what a challenge. It's easy for us to read this letter and shake our finger at Diotrephes, and yet how convicting it is to think that there are some things that Diotrephes was doing that I'm tempted to do and have done in my own uh, relationship with my fellow believers. So Father, Firstly, this morning, we come to you and we repent of our sin in the unhealthy ways that we sometimes relate to fellow believers and the conspicuously worldly practices that we adopt in Christian communities and slather with with, uh, servant leadership rhetoric. Uh, Father, we confess that to you and we ask that your Holy Spirit by the truth of your word, your living and active word, would transform the way that we think about and practice leadership and relationships among your people, Father. We want to be those who, who, through the power of your Holy Spirit, are infusing health and life into the body of Christ. Help us to do that, Father. We ask in your son's name. Amen.